Hello, and welcome to Our Sailor Stories, the podcast from the USS Hornet Sea, Air, and Space Museum, former naval aircraft carrier turned public museum. Nonprofit organizations like the Hornet rely heavily on volunteers who sacrifice their time to ensure proper care follows every donor-funded project. This is our project for them. I am your host, Nicolette Dumay, ready to relay Our Sailor Stories. My name is Donnie Nicholson. I am an undergrad from San Francisco State University, and I first came on board with the USS Hornet as a uh, as an intern in February of 2023, as part of my capstone class uh, for undergrad as a museum studies minor. I also graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Art History and Studio Art. So, just to kind of make the rounds throughout the art department and humanities, I guess is the best way to say that. Yeah, I came on board uh, working directly for Anthony Wilson, the director of exhibitions and collection collections in the collections department. Came in not really knowing what I was going to be doing, um, what artifacts would be on a ship, because I've never worked on a museum in a museum that was a former vessel. So completely new ballgame for me. It was also something I had seen myself doing a year before and certainly not three years before uh, in my freshman year um, because I'm a former service member and it's just kind of like, oh, like I'm done with the Navy and that's it. Um, but now my experience has been um, cathartic and therapeutic. Um, and I am learning loads uh, and contributing to something that feels like family and learning lots of cool stuff and hanging around with some pretty cool people. How did you pick the Hornet? Did you get to choose or did they assign you to come here for class? We had a list of options uh, via portal that was um, provided to us in the Museum Studies minor uh, class. I had my sights set on something else. Um, my professors in there, uh, they genuinely care. And I think they were thinking of a path that would not just benefit me um, academically, but um, I think on a social emotional level. Uh, so I, I somewhat resisted to the idea of coming to the Hornet and working one or two days for free while I'm learning. and. So I resisted until I came here and I was like, oh, I could totally eat donuts with these guys once a day a week. So, and that's what I've been doing. Um, part of my breaking bread with folks that I don't know is donuts, right? But um, it works. So it's been about a year now, almost? It'll be a year next month. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. Happy anniversary. <laughs> What's been your favorite project that you've worked on so far? Oh, wow. Um, I'd say one that's taken about a year. So when I first came aboard, there was an exhibit in Sister Ship um, that was in the process of being uh, deinstalled. And so that was one of my first projects was to deinstall um, 
uh, catalog any artifacts that we had, separate them so that they can be reviewed or put back into storage. I placed stuff in storage as well. I created some space in storage areas so that we can move stuff around. Um, it was a bit like, um, not like hide the ball, but like it was Tetris basically. So we had to move one thing over here to make space and then move that over there. And then we could get to this thing and then move. it works. Um, it is a, it's an experience in taking things slow initial reaction to things or tasks is to get them done as soon as possible. Um, especially in a military environment, which this reeks of, right? So, um, the cathartic and therapeutic part of this for me was to slow down, to still have those goals, achieve these goals, but not have my hair on fire, um, and try to accomplish them. Yeah. Um, so, um, the installed sistership, uh, cleared it out, did some modifications. I got to drill into the USS Hornet with the power tool, which was kind of fun because like now I'm making my mark, you know, and someone's letting me do it. And then being a part of some of the conversations on how these exhibits are displayed. I also get to read through a lot of the histories of service members that are on here when I'm trying to figure out which pile do these documents go in, things that we want to review or things that are just not um, so relevant. So we have a lot of newspaper clippings, so we don't need more of these. We don't have these documents, which are explaining um, when, where, and how this person was a part of a specific mission. Those are things that we need to review. So, and, But in doing the, that, I'm reading an almost day-by-day -day, um, ledger of, a, of an individual's activities and from 40 years ago you know, from 60 years ago. Einstein said you begin to live once you begin to live outside of yourself. And I think that's uh, kind of an example of, of that. As a military dependent, um, I have a perspective of um, benefiting directly from the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. um, living overseas, living on a military base, going to DOD funded schools, um, uh, housing, all that, welfare, all that stuff's taken care of. So now we have a decommissioned vessel um, that's no longer in service. For the most part, a community resource, but, you know, transforming something into, transforming one thing from that was used in the scope of war to now be used in, this, in, in something that's in the scope of community. One, it's a hard sell, and two, um, you have to make people feel welcome to come aboard. So I think it's an interesting challenge. Um, I'd never seen something like this before where um, you know, you're taking something that was of use for war and try to make that uh, a community asset now uh, where everyone can enjoy and everyone can benefit from it. It's so odd for me as a, as a former military dependent, as a former service member, to see so many civilians like that are not contractors in a facility like this, and doing work in a facility like this, and taking care of the facility and taking care of the docents that are here. This is this is a unique environment for sure. Mm -hmm. um, after your volunteer service ends for school, do you see yourself staying for a little bit longer? 
So my volunteer service for school ended um, when I graduated in May. I signed a contract for a stipend and uh, that was a huge help. But it also let me know how valuable my work was, how valuable my presence was. Not just because like, hey, like we like you, so we'll keep, keep you around, but um, we'll even offer you some compensation for it. As someone who just graduated with a degree in something and to have some compensation for this newly gained knowledge and whatever efforts you can contribute, like that, that's a huge thing. Uh, for me, at least. One of the things that, um, as a military dependent, a former military dependent, um, I have a perspective on military life that most people are unaware of, like even service members. You go to work, it's your nine to five, you're in uniform, you go home. Um, when kids are seeing this, like we're seeing our parent or parents, we're still on base. We're still exposed to the technologies, the science, um, the mechanisms we're drawing these things at school our ships or our favorite airplane or jet or whatever tanks but the outside public doesn't get to see what's going on in the workplace i used to go with my with my mom to work and i would see the giant computers that would take up an entire wall or i would see her order a prisoner like he did something wrong on the weekends and so now he's got to do couple days in jail and he's like six foot something and my mom's five fives like you need to go move that couch over there and that's part of the work day but the public doesn't get to see the the day in and day out i believe what we do here gives us a glimpse into that what was the daily life like on a ship like was it fun like was it boring like do you play checkers all day like where's the graffiti come from i th think we can help the public the community and family members tap into what was the daily life of Joe Sonza. If you were able to, what is one project that you'd like to get your hands on? So years ago, I came across the story of a battalion of women who had served in World War II. Um, they've recently just uh, been awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, but no one had heard about them until a few years ago. And so they'd taken enemy fire uh, from German U-boats on the way to Birmingham, England to sort a backlog of mail. Um, so how important is the mail? Asks any service member. It's, it's like no mail, no morale. So uh, it's the story of the 6888 that I'm hoping to, it's already been done in so many circles, but I think it's important here because it's some of the women who were enlisted or were officers are from the Bay Area in California, uh, but no one's heard of them. Um, so if you can imagine clearing a backlog of mail in six months and what sort of pride and emotional load that either took off or gave wind to folks like, oh, like Susie was writing me or I did get these pies in the mail. Yeah, I get to hear from my dad or my mom or something like that. How inspiring would that to someone that's on the battlefield and hasn't heard from them in months because of a backlog of mail. These ladies come in, knock it out, we win the war. Like, so that's something I'd like to, in my professional capacity, bring like an environment like this. It's the story of the six triple eight. I've never heard this story. I would love for you to do that project too. That's a beautiful story. Thank you. Not mine, but um, what we do in, in as art historians is we re relay these things to, you know, the public. It's like, yeah, this happened when 
it made a, a, a huge impact on World War II. The amount of work that you put into researching your exhibits and your your um, what you're going to be creating and the story that you're going to be telling to the public, that's a lot of work too. That's really valuable. It's exciting to me to come across these stories or to read from an almost first person's perspective and walk in their shoes for 30 minutes or 30 years, depending on the amount of content that's available, especially these stories that we don't hear of, but then find out have had such a weighted impact. A lot of these things kind of boil up in the military and service and um, spill out into the public. You know? So um, yeah, it's a story of change. You also volunteer your time outside of the Hornet with your soccer team, right? That's correct. I actually just took a new job, full-time job with Up To Us. It's uh, through AmeriCorps. Uh, it's going to provide me with um, professional development. I'll be taking surveys within the community. Um, I'll be uh, working under a site coordinator. So I'm an Up To Us coach with, uh, through AmeriCorps for Street Soccer Oakland. And Street Soccer Oakland is part of a larger national network called Street Soccer USA. And we have sister programs all over the US uh, providing after-school programs and community cup programs for um, communities that can't afford it. Soccer is a growing sport in the country, but it's a pay-to-play system and a lot of kids can't afford to go to an academy. This model of providing after-school programs or in-school programs um, in the realm of athletics, you know, just providing a safe space is not dissimilar from my experience as a kid where we had uh, the American Youth Association. This, I understand, was funded by the Department of Defense, so it's not something that would run out of money, um, and every kid had access to it who was a military dependent. I like the idea of kids not having to worry about where state uh, where a safe space is going to be because someone like myself or a coworker is providing that safe space um, we partner with a lot of um, organizations in the community uh, community council uh, oakland roots oakland soul um, who are um, big into grassroots uh, growing their program seeing what, what the community needs sports in the way we do sports and teach sports it's so transitional into real life. How do you communicate with a lot of folks? Team building. Um, how do you communicate when you're in trouble or you need help or you've, you're ready to move on to the next step? How do you ask for help? If you're going to a game or to a practice, what do you need to be prepared for that? You got to grab your cleats, you got to grab your bag, those little things. When you practice them in sports, they translate into your real life. I was uh, recently um, interviewed for the homeless world cup um earlier this year and um a title that was settled on the article that was published was serving his community on the field of play i've never been a combat veteran um i, I believe i'm persian gulf uh, war veteran but um so the skills that i learned as a technician uh, as a sailor i cannot apply those things to war i cannot apply those things to combat i cannot serve in a military fashion so what can i do with all of these skills well i can try to make it a better and safer place yeah 
I think the kids deserve it. That's what I signed up for when I when I signed up to enlist was to support and defend the Constitution. I think that should include making safe spaces for kids to learn and play. Um, this is a safe space to learn and play. I think a soccer field is a safe place to learn and play. For me, those, those things, it's no division. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Our Sailor Stories. This year, 2024, is the year of our aircraft exhibit enhancement campaign. If you would like more details on how you can help us enhance the overall condition and experience of the aircraft collection we have on deck, please see the show notes. Until next time, this is Nicolette Dumais signing off.